Well, good morning and welcome to Silver Creek. I don't know if you can still hear me. There we go. Uh, we are thrilled to have you joining us online. Uh, we continue to pray for your safety. So if there is anything uh, that we can be praying for specifically, would you please let us know? You can put it in the comments or you can send us an email. Uh, we are in our fourth week of our series called Jesus Will. And, and the idea behind this series is really kind of trying to develop and establish for each of us a very true idea of what Jesus will do in our life, what Jesus will provide, what he will offer in our lives. Because oftentimes the things that we expect that Jesus will do or the things that we think he will do isn't actually what he said that we could count on him doing. So we want to kind of really uncover what it is that we can expect. Now, if you've spent any time on YouTube or maybe on Facebook or maybe you watched America's Funniest Videos or anything, you've probably seen this deal where we torture little kids with marshmallows. You've seen that where, where essentially they, they walk some poor kid into a room and they, they sit him down at a table and then an adult walks in and an adult places a, a great big marshmallow on a plate in front of the kid and then, and then they offer the kid a deal. They say to the kid, listen, if, if you can hang tight and not eat this marshmallow for the next couple of minutes, if you can keep from eating it, we are going to reward you and you're going to get a bunch of additional marshmallows. And you can just see the kid and the wheels spinning. And then the, the adult leaves and goes out of the room. And then and all the cameras are on. And then we all watch and giggle as these, these children, these poor kids, are straining with all kinds of trying to tap into their self-control and, and trying to keep from eating this, this single marshmallow. And some of the kids make it. Right? Some of the kids, we watch it and they, they distract themselves or maybe they try and sing a song or, or they push the marshmallow away. I watch one kid take the, the, the plate and flip it over and set it on top of the marshmallow or they put their head down and they just try to pretend that it's not a deal. And, and then there's the kids that don't make it. They just can't wait. They just are like, it's too tough. I can't wait for more. I gotta eat this marshmallow that's right in front of them. And they go for it. And it's hilarious, and we all laugh at these kids, and, and we think, oh, that poor kid, that was so tough. And then we're like, it's so funny, though. And we watch them squirm, and, and it's silly, and it's, it's really hard. It's funny to watch them fight that urge to, to resist to eat that single marshmallow. And then we all get lo locked up in our houses for weeks, and the scenario just happens again. I mean, minus the, the whole you know, the videotape and recording you and, and the white puff of sugar. Now, now, now it's Netflix and Disney Plus, right? And we just, we can't stop watching it. And it's like, we, we're just like, we, the more, where we find ourselves watching more TV than we could ever admit we would watch. And when it's a marshmallow or when it's binge watching during a pandemic, it's funny. And we chuckle and we think, ah, ha, ha. But sometimes in life, when the desire gets too great or the temptation is too much, it's no longer a joke. And sometimes it destroys lives. And giving into the temptation, we waste money and we become addicted to substances and, and we ruin relationships and we, we end a career because we gave into something. And really what we need to recognize is to begin to see the importance of how do we deal with temptations and desires that life brings in. And one of the most incredible offers that Jesus provides and that Jesus offers to us is that he will provide the help and the strength to face the temptations and the desires that we deal with. 
So I want to show you some words that were written by one of Jesus' early followers. Now, now the author isn't actually known. We're not really sure who wrote this. But what we're pretty sure of is that somebody that spent some time with Jesus, that likely knew Jesus personally, or spent some time with somebody that did know Jesus personally. So they were close. So listen to this description of Jesus and our connection to him. It says this in Hebrews. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, this verse has a lot to unpack. So to get a better grasp of that, we're just going to pause real quick for, for this week's theological breakdown. And for the theological breakdown, what we need to look at is we need to get an understanding of a very interesting Greek word. The Greek word, if I can get it right, is homoousios. Homoousios, so you're probably at your house wanting to say that, so go for it, homoousios. And if I didn't get it right, don't worry, nobody's really using it anyway anymore. But to start, what we need to understand is that, that Jesus is our high priest. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot unless you grew up in the Jewish tradition. But what the high priest is, is the high priest was the individual that would represent you before God. People would go to the temple looking for forgiveness, and they would go into the temple, and the times when they had broken relationship with God or broken relationship with other people, the time when there was sin in their life, when they wanted forgiveness, they would go to the high priest, and they would ask the high priest to go before God and ask for them for forgiveness. And they would, the high priest would then go before God and say, God, would you please forgive them? And, and today... Jesus serves as that high priest. We don't actually have to go to a high priest. Jesus is that for us. And so when you and I ask for forgiveness, Jesus represents us. He goes before the Father and he says, hey, uh, listen, God the Father, uh, Brent says that he's sorry for that lie that he told. Brent says that he's sorry and he's confessing the, that rude word that he spoke. God, Brent is sorry that he got jealous towards the guy that got the raise. And Jesus says, God, would you, would you please forgive him? And then Jesus begins to explain, listen, the reason that, that you can forgive Brent isn't because of anything that he's done, isn't because of anything that he deserves. But God, remember that, that I paid the price. I died on the cross for Brent. Now, this is where we get to this Greek word of homo we see us. This is a theological term that, that really started to get its notability or begin to see it in the formation of what's known as the Nicene Creed. This is a document that was created around 325 AD um, during the Nicene Council. Uh, a group of biblical scholars of the day, they gathered together all the greatest minds that, that were studying scripture and they came together and their idea was to really establish some ideas and some concepts to really clarify what it is that Christians believe. What it is that being a Christian would understand. What it was that we needed to understand to be true about God and our relationship with him. They wanted to help us begin to understand that. So this term of homoousios was a term that describes that, that Jesus himself is the same in being. It is meaning he is the same in essence as God the Father. Essentially what it means is that the qualities of God are the very same as the qualities of Jesus. They are essentially of the same essence. 
But then Jesus chose to take on the, the physical manifestation of God by becoming human. The physical manifestation means that, that Jesus left heaven. He came down to earth. He took on the physical attributes and the qualities of a human being. And then as a human, while being fully God, fully connected to who God the Father is, he then faced all of the same desires that you and I face, but in that process never sinned. As a human, he faced all of the same temptations that we do, but he did not sin. So for Jesus, when we think about this idea of this homoousius, I don't know if I've said it the same way every time, maybe not, doesn't matter. What it means is that he is fully God. And yet he was completely human, which means as being fully God, he completely understands what we're going through. He's faced the same challenges. He's faced the same temptations, and yet he never sinned. He never broke relationship with God. He never broke relationship with other people. So he knows what we're going through, and because he knows what we're going through, he's got our back when we mess up. When we give in to those temptations, now we know that we're being represented by a high priest who knows what it's like and goes to the Father and says, it's so tough. Will you forgive him? And he wants to help us overcome the temptations and overcome those desires of sin, not because he's unwilling or doesn't want to represent us as the high priest. He wants us to overcome those temptations and overcome those desires so that we can avoid the pain and destruction that happens when we give in to those desires or give in to those temptations. Because Jesus gets it. He knows what we're dealing with. And this homoousius idea is that he is fully God and yet he fully cares about what you're going through. Now honestly, when we started this series and I thought this whole uh, theological breakdown was a good idea, um, I gotta be honest, it wears me out. Um, I thought it was a clever idea, but I'll be honest with you, uh, each week preparing for just that little section, uh, my brain almost melts down, and then when I get through this little section of the morning, uh, I barely feel like I can move on and keep speaking. Uh, so I was actually, because you guys are all at home, and because you're watching this on TV or on video, uh, we're just going to take a break. And I'm going to see if I can recover just a little bit. So take the next 10 minutes, uh, grab a cup of coffee, use the restroom or whatever. I'm just going to go chill for about 10 minutes, and then we'll, we'll get back to it, okay? I'm kidding. Not, not really. I do need a break, and I just sort of going to power through this so I can be all done. Uh, but it does wear me out, so don't plan on it for future series. But as we move forward, here's what we need to see. What we need to see is that there are three primary types of temptation— Three primary ways where we can find ourselves struggling, things that we have to overcome. Now, what I was thinking about doing as we talk about temptation, I was thinking about having each of you in your house just start shouting out different temptations that you have to face. Just in your home, just, just start yelling them out and anything that you face, identify the things that you, you have to do, just call them out. Start, and then I started realizing that there's a really good chance that some of you are watching this with your kids so maybe just yelling those things out would be a little weird. Uh, and then I was thinking about the fact that while you're watching this in your house, uh, maybe you've got one of your windows open, and as your neighbors are walking by, I just started imagining in my mind, like all these people from Silver Creek all over the city, uh, sitting in their houses, and their neighbors are walking by, and all of a sudden their windows are open, and the neighbors are walking by, and all of a sudden they hear, gambling! And the neighbor's like, what? 
Or they're walking down the street and all of a sudden they hear greed and what? Or, or maybe you're walking down the street and all of a sudden they hear pornography and they're like, what is going on? Right? Like so. Or, or maybe you yell like the female pornography, which is shopping, like whatever it would be. What, whatever. I was like, okay, maybe we shouldn't have all of you yelling those out. So hopefully your TV's not turned up too loud because I just yelled them all anyway. I did it for you. Which actually I'm thrilled that this message falls today and not next week, being Mother's Day. As I'm sure you can guess, my mom's really proud of me now. <laughs> She's like, what have I done? Anyway, uh, if I were to give you a chance to yell out all of your temptations, or the temptations, or the di- desires that you could think of, and you are welcome to do that later with your kids, I am not going to stop you. But if we were to do that, if we were to take time and, and create a list of the temptations that we could think of, ultimately, what we would discover is that each and every one of those temptations fall into one of three types. We find each of these types uh, in a portion of the Bible that was written by one of Jesus' closest friends. It was a guy by the name of John, and, and this is what John wrote in helping us see these three types. He says this. He says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And what John is laying out for us here are the three types of temptations that we face. And John calls them cravings, which I think we could all agree with, like temptations and desires and cravings. And what John is saying is that there are three, and there is the craving of the physical pleasure. He's saying there is the craving of what we see. He's saying there is that craving for pride in our achievements and in our possessions. So let me attempt to make this more clear and help us understand what those are. The first one, he's basically saying that there is a desire of the body. And this isn't just one. This is, this is that craving for physical pleasure in multiple different ways. It's really that temptation to do whatever feels good in that moment. Whatever would make us happy, we will make that in that situation. This craving of the body or the desire of the body is to pursue that to satisfy some desire, to indulge in something that would make our body feel better. So so that could be food. Could be a substance. It could be the pursuit of an adrenaline rush. It could be sex. And all of those things, within the proper context, within the right limits, within God's plan, aren't necessarily wrong. But outside of God's direction when it hurts someone else, or when it hurts us. That desire of the body is something we need to avoid. And it falls into this category, what John is saying there, this physical craving falls under this idea of the desire of the body. The second temptation, or the second category, would be the desire of the heart. John wrote the craving of the eyes, and and really what he's talking about there is he's saying we let our vision fall onto something, we see something, and then we long to have it. We see it, and then we fall in love with possessing it. We see it, and we want it no matter what the cost is, what it would require of us, and we desire it. And all of us deal with this at some level. 
Some of us deal with this more than others. Some of us, this is a stronger desire than others. But, but all of us deal with this in some way where we see something, we see an item or an object, or, and we want it. And if we don't manage it, it could lead us into debt. It can lead us into having so many things that our things can control us. It becomes this constant pursuit of next. And our heart can't be satisfied until what it wants is met when we start to give in to the desire of the heart. And then the last type is the desire of the ego. This is about status, and this is about success. This is about finding position and power. This is about pursuit of finding, being respected and elevated. This is where we remove God from the center of our lives. We take God and we move him aside, and instead we put ourselves in the center, and we, we assume that everything revolves around us. This pursuit, this desire of ego, is all about getting success and getting power and achieving more. It's living for the attention of others. It's placing all of our worth and all of our value on what we're able to produce or create or accomplish. Here's what's crazy. When we think of each of those different types of temptations, Jesus faced all of them. In fact, they were actually all written down for us to read about in one particular moment where he faced each of those types. Now, as we read through this, if you happen to be looking at the message notes, it's a bit long. So if you're starting to get sleepy right now, I'd encourage you to stand up, stretch at your home, you know. If you're on the couch sitting by somebody that's starting to drift off, you can poke them or whatever you need to do to stay focused. Here's what we're going to look at. This is what happened to Jesus. It was written by Luke. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing that all that time and became very hungry. Duh. Thank you, Luke. In 40 days. This is just the setup of the story, right? Jesus into the woods for 40 days, fasting and praying. And the fasting was basically he gave up food so that he could focus his dependence on God the Father for direction and for strength. He's about to start three years of public ministry. And before he dives into that, he wants to spend these 40 days focusing on who God is and what God is calling him to do. And an interesting thing is it says that the devil is basically hounding him the whole time. And then we keep reading. It says, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Now, my guess is that you're all the clever type, and you've identified that this is the desire of the body, right? He's got to be crazy hungry. A quick snack would be amazing. And if you know later on, when Jesus turns water into wine, it's the best wine around. So you know that if he turns stone into bread, it's going to be amazing bread. Maybe wonder bread. I don't, I don't know. That's terrible. But in order for him to get this snack, he would have to fall into the trap of proving who he is to the devil. By saying, oh, oh, you want to see? I, yeah, okay. He has to prove to the devil who Jesus is, that he is truly who he has claimed to be. But he's not going to fall into being directed or led by Satan. So he's like, no, 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 nope, nope, not doing it. I am hungry, but I am not doing it. And then we keep reading. 
It says, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil's saying, listen, look at, look at all of this. See it. It can all be yours. And all you have to do to have all of it is you just have to bow down and worship me. Just acknowledge that I have the power to give it all to you, and it's all yours. Clearly, the desire of the heart. And the devil does the same thing to us over and over again. He's saying, hey, 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 notice that. Oh, don't miss out on that thing. It's exactly what you want. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that's, that's what you want? And don't, don't, don't waste time counting the cost. Just get it. And Jesus is like, nope, 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 nope. Not falling for it. And then we come to the last part. It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with, the hands, with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not, not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. The devil again is challenging him, saying, oh, oh you, you think you are who you are? Oh, oh, oh really, you, you think God loves you? Oh, as God's son, you think you really are God? And basically the devil is, oh, if that's all true, then prove it. If you really are who you claim to be, if you really think you're all that, show us. He's testing Jesus' ego. And again, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for it. And each of these desires, each of these temptations are completely legit. I mean, think about it. Jesus is crazy hungry. Jesus also knows that one day all of the world is meant to be his. One day he will rule all of it. But in order for him to rule all of it and be the he he ultimately knows that down the road in just a few years, he's going to die for all mankind. And Satan is saying, hey, I'll just give it to you now. Just, just bow down. Jesus also cares about the connection that he has with his heavenly father. And to have that challenged. To have that, that unvalidated or invalidated, he's saying, listen, uh, uh, no, 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 I don't have to prove that to you. And catch at the end, it says, then the devil left and waited for the next opportunity, which means he's coming back. And if the devil kept coming back after Jesus, you can guarantee he's going to keep coming after us. Because ultimately, Satan recognized he wasn't able to destroy Jesus, so instead his plan is to destroy what Jesus loves most, which is us. And because we are the most important thing to Jesus, Satan wants to destroy us, and Jesus wants to help us avoid the pain and the hurt. Which is ultimately why Jesus, Jesus will help us overcome the desires of this life and of the temptations that we all deal and face with, and we deal with in our life. So to look at this and how Jesus wants to help us overcome the desires of this, the first one we're going to look at is how does Jesus want to help us overcome the desires of our body? And he does that by providing a way out and giving the strength to respond. 
Listen to what was written to one of the early churches. I know there's a verse in Philippians in your notes. Just skip down to 1 Corinthians. It says this. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes we tend to think that the, the struggles that we have or the desires for me personally is more than what other people deal with or face. But we all have similar issues. It may not always be around the exact same desire, but our, all of us, we all have this deal where, where our bodies look to be satisfied in some way or another. We're in the moment without consideration for the future. Our bodies are drawn to something. And for some, it might be pornography. Or for others, it might be eating what you know you shouldn't be eating because it's unhealthy for you or eating too much. For somebody else, it might be self-harm or, or physical punishment. For somebody else, it might be poor sleep and ignoring God's best for you. But whatever it is, what we need to understand and know is that it's not unique to you. And when we begin to understand that we're not the first person to struggle with that, we can begin to embrace that this is normal. It can be dealt with. And Jesus invites us then to lean into his strength that was demonstrated when he conquered death and came back to life. And we can lean into that strength. And the moment that we need to lean into that strength more than any other time is that moment when there's the way out being provided. So guys, if it's pornography that you're struggling with, Choosing to move the computer and put the computer somewhere where the screen is visible so that other people can see it all the time, that's the moment. That's the way out. That's the time to lean into his strength. Certainly, we can lean into his strength late at night when our minds are bored and our, we get dumb, but it, now we're just tempting fate. When we go shopping and we start looking for something to eat, you know, we're trying to eat better, the time to lean into it happens at the store when we're deciding what food to purchase. This is the moment for the way out when we're choosing, do we grab a bag of chips or do we grab some celery? It's a rough choice, but <laughs> lean into the spirit and say, would you give me the strength? I mean, because if we wait until the heat of the moment, if we wait until the pressure of the situation, the way out will still be there. There will still be it in that moment, but it's so much easier to take the, take the out early on. We have a better chance of success. If we lean into the strength and we depend on the strength that Jesus wants to offer us to overcome the desires of the body. Then Jesus also wants to help us overcome the desires of our heart by teaching us generosity. Everything about this is about the desires of the heart. It's about getting. It's about receiving. It's about acquiring more. And in the same way that our physical heart is a muscle, our emotional heart, that desire that we have is also a muscle. And depending on how you exercise that muscle, the stronger it's going to get in the direction in which we exercise it. So if you exercise that, that heart muscle towards getting, it's going to be stronger in that direction. So in order to counter our heart's strength for more, we have to then begin to exercise it to give. Exercise it to be generous. Here's how Jesus explained it. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you and I want to slow down our hearts wanting more, we need to give more. 
And Jesus is explaining that, that our fear of giving, our fear of being generous, comes when we're worried about whether or not we will have our own needs and our own desires met. And the reality is that when you and I choose to give, when you and I choose to be generous, when we begin to flex that heart muscle to the benefit of others, we will find that we actually have all that we need, equal to the amount that we've offered up. And Jesus knows that when we face the desire to acquire and to get and to collect and to have He wants us to understand that if we want to overcome that temptation to buy and to accumulate, we have to learn to be generous, even before we want to be generous. And what's so amazing about the people of Silver Creek is that so many of you are generous. So many of you are already giving back to God and allowing us as a church to meet the needs of the people in our community. Allowing us as a church to offer people strength and encouragement and hope as we all go through this situation. And one of the greatest ways for you and I to overcome the desires of the heart of wanting more is to lean into Jesus for the motivation to develop a heart of generosity. And honestly, right now, if you currently have no income, if right now you are out of work, Jesus expects nothing from you. But when Jesus provides, and when we are able to collect a paycheck, and when we have those things coming in, it's now our opportunity to demonstrate gratitude for what he's done for us. Especially during a time when there are so many unknowns. What an incredible opportunity to give back to God out of how he's blessed and begin to keep exercising that heart muscle. And to trust Jesus that he's going to stay true to what he's promised to do, that when we choose to be generous, it begins to impact the amount that we receive. So that's why at Silver Creek we do what's called the giving challenge. Because we believe that God is going to provide and honor his commitment to anyone that responds. And so we offer a giving challenge, which basically means if you give and God doesn't provide, if God doesn't bless, then we just give you all your money back. So the way it looks is over the next three months, if you've never given... If you've never given to Silver Creek, then then over the next three months, you just give one time. The amount doesn't matter. It's just simply you choose. You give one time. And if you've already given one time in the past, then over the next three months, it's a choice to give consistently. And you pick the amount, and you set the frequency. You just figure it out what, what works for you, and then over the next three months, you just follow that process. And if you've already started giving consistently, then maybe you're going to commit to giving systematically. This is where you identify a percentage. And then each time that you get paid, each time that you earn money, each time that God provides, then you give that percentage that you've committed to. Somewhere between 1% and 10%, you can work your way up there and just begin to give as a system, as as a process. And if you've already given systematically and you've reached that point of 10%, honestly, this is one of the most difficult parts, is to tell God that you're ready to give extravagantly. Which means you're going to choose to continue to give that 10% to the church, but you're going to tell God that if you prompt me to give to someone, God, if you promise, prompt me to give to something, God, if there's a need that you bring to my mind, I will respond. And if you choose to respond to this giving challenge, if you respond to the taking the next level of this and God doesn't bless and God doesn't provide and you feel like God has not given back to you, you let us know and we will give you all your money back. But if there was ever a time to trust God, this is it. 
This is the greatest moment. This is the greatest opportunity for you to not hold tightly to what you have. This is a great opportunity to let him provide, and it happens when you and I exercise a heart of generosity and not give in to the heart of wanting. And then lastly, Jesus wants to help us overcome our desire of our ego by, gui- by guiding our thoughts. And the reality is that this desire of ego is about where we make ourselves God. We remove God from the center, and we decide to make everything about me. This is where I want the glory, and I want the power, and I want the attention, I want the praise. I become the center of the universe, and everything revolves around me and how it impacts me. And if we're going to overcome the temptation to make life all about us, to get beyond the desire about having everything revolve around how it impacts me, Jesus demonstrates the key in this story. It's about how we think. It's about our thoughts. Because each and every time Jesus is presented with a chance of temptation, he points to what God says in the Bible. Which means it's already, it's become a part of his thoughts. He's being guided outside of his humanity. And he's begin to put those thoughts in his mind. Because outside of our relationship with Jesus, we will be drawn to making life all about us. And maybe the people that we care about. But, but really, when we're just taking care of the people that we care about, it's still all about us. And for that not to be the case, our thought process has to change. Listen to how it was described in a letter to the early church. It says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Here's the part. To be, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created, by, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, prior to our relationship with Jesus, our thinking is all about self. It's all a matter of us. It's all about thinking about what is valuable to me and what is beneficial to those that I care about and right, you know, keeping it all in. And we place ourselves in the center and we become the focal point of our life and we give in to that desire of ego. But then when we hear about the truth of Jesus and we hear about who Jesus is and we hear about the fact that he offered himself and he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and that he not only died but then he defeated death and he came back to life. When that begins to soak in, we begin to change our thinking and recognize that Jesus is the one that rightfully deserves to sit in the center of our life, on the throne of our life. And this becomes possible when we begin to turn to Jesus and allow him to be the Lord and the leader of our life, and we begin to adjust and we begin to renew our minds and our thoughts, and we begin to change the way we think and the way that we approach life. It means we begin to choose how we're going to be impacted and influenced and allow God's leading to be what impacts and influences rather than our own. It's a decision to begin to discover God's approach to how we live and how we respond to those around us and to the priorities that we should make. It's a decision to begin to allow the Bible to be the influence on how we think and how we consider it to be right and how we deal with whatever it is that we encounter. It's a choice to say that we're going to allow Jesus to be first in all situations, not us. It's a choice to make Jesus the primary focus, not our desires. 
It's a choice to begin to shift our attention away from self and away from personal achievement and away from all those things that are about us and begin to pursue righteousness and pursue holiness the way that Jesus demonstrated. And he wants to help us overcome the temptations and the desires and not make it about our glory and our power, but ultimately make it about his glory and his power. Because Jesus, as he helps us understand this, as we begin to recognize that we face these desires and the temptations, Jesus wants to help us move away from that and overcome those things so that ultimately we can reflect who he is and demonstrate his righteousness and his holiness in the ways that we go about our life. And every week we want to put these uh, connect cards or we put these next steps in your program. And really this is just an opportunity for you to think through, for you to reflect, for you really to determine what your next steps are going to be. Also, if you let us know, if you submit a connect card, it allows us to be able to pray for you as God is working in your life. But as you think about this idea, as you think about these different things that we face and these different temptations that that come in our life, and as you think about Jesus' desire to help us overcome that, we would love to be able to pray for you as God is working in your life. But what's your next step? What is it that you need to do next based on what it is that you've heard this morning? Maybe your next step is to recognize that Jesus has faced everything that we face. Maybe your next step is to take some time and identify the type of desire that you deal with most often. Maybe your next step is for each day to invite Jesus to give you the the strength to make the right choice. And maybe your next step is to ask a friend to begin to check in on you to see how you're doing and if you're able to begin to move through those things and lean into the help that Jesus wants to give you. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you, encourage you to, to respond and take that next step. This morning, if you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus and you haven't started that relationship, but you're interested in knowing more about that, the little window is going to pop up where you can raise your hand and we want to connect with you and give you some more information with that. So if you're hearing about this idea of Jesus and you want to enter into that relationship and you want more information, would you please click on that? Then I want to get you some information to be able to pray for you. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning... We want to lean into and we want to connect with you and we want to recognize that that you want to give us the strength and the ability to overcome the temptations and the desires that we face. Jesus, ultimately, we need to recognize that you face these, you've overcome them, and you're the perfect place for us to lean into, to accept your forgiveness, to accept your, your representation of us before God the Father, but ultimately that your desire is to help us to find a way to live in such a way that reflects your righteousness and your holiness. God, give us a passion to pursue that. We love you so much, and we thank you for all the ways that you bless our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.